and we're back in the saddle like we never left heating up cooling off melting down bringing the power to town welcome back to off the top podcast i'm your host julian with our boy jordan and today we're gonna jump into nuclear meltdowns jordan how you feeling Dude, I'm feeling, well, first off, I'm radiating with excitement to get this one down. Let's get the dad jokes out of the way because there's a lot of good information in this podcast specifically. And you guys can probably guess what spurred this on. A giant trend since HBO's Game of Thrones has ended has been HBO's Chernobyl documenting the Chernobyl disaster in 1986 and has become the best rated show in HBO history since the slump of the end of the Game of Thrones series, if you guys watch that. We thought we would jump on, kind of inform you a little bit more about nuclear meltdowns and how they come about. This specific podcast, I think, is super interesting in the fact of, you know, that there's a lot of, like, um, I would say, uh, cultural information that people just kind of know a little bit about. Um, either that being like pop culture, a little bit of science or anything like that. But I feel like when I was doing research on kind of I specifically did like nuclear incidents as far as Chernobyl and Fukushima. It's uh, quite interesting to see that, you know, I hardly know anything of a little bit about nuclear reactions and how they create energy from there. Um, so, yeah, I'm super excited to jump into this. But Julian, how about you start us off? Yeah, so essentially, I think that it's important to know what nuclear energy is, you know, some of the pros and some of the cons before we go into some of the more famous incidents like Fukushima, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island in the US, etc. So that you as users and listeners, you know, might have some backstory energy. So like one of the first pros of nuclear energy is that it produces 20% of America's en- energy, but it also produces 63% of carbon-free electricity in America. So it's a relatively clean form of energy that puts out a ton of energy with very little fuel. And I think that's one thing that's super important to mention on the forefront because I think that some people might not think that nuclear energy is a really clean and green source of energy, but it's quite the contrary when it comes to the actual facts is that this thing basically is uh, quite clean. It uses obviously radioactive material to heat up water, to make steam, to run turbines, to create electricity. And it seems super simple and almost too simple for, you know, we're using this nuclear energy to basically run a steam turbine. But that's all it is, truly. And you just need like a radioactive material for energy source and water. And there you have electricity and 20 percent of it for the U.S. And to Jordan's point, right, you need the breakdown here is one pellet of uranium which is most often used for nuclear energy, one pellet of uranium is equivalent to 17,000 cubic feet of natural gas or 149 gallons of oil or one ton of coal. Those are all equivalents to one pellet of uranium. So you can understand how efficient um, you know, uranium is when used properly. You can also understand, you know, as we get further down the line, how it can be so dangerous in large amounts when one pellet 
is equivalent to 149 gallons of oil. Yeah, I think the thing that you should take from that specific uh, thing that Julian said, listeners, is that uranium is extremely, extremely energy dense. And it doesn't store energy necessarily like 149 gallons of oil would store it or one ton of coal. It has like a very interesting way that it can release energy in the right circumstances. Um, and I think that that is something that's important to know as well, because yes, it is highly, highly, highly packed with a lot of energy or potential energy, but it might not display or give off that energy like you initially think. And I think that that's probably one of those things that's another kind of a little bit of a misconception that when you think of nuclear uh, and if I was to ask anybody, they probably think like, oh, OK, nuclear bomb, not nuclear energy or like nuclear fusion or anything of that nature. They would think of something that's super explosive. But um, in a lot of these cases, I mean, granted, we're going to talk about Chernobyl and Fukushima and Three Mile Island. But uh, in a lot of these cases, it's not explosive. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's relatively um, inexpensive and a very efficient use of power when used correctly um, and monitored properly. And that's why in some scenarios, these meltdowns we'll be talking about where this energy, this fuel, the uranium gets out and mixes and heats up other things. You get these explosions along with, you know, how it really is producing its energy, which we'll talk about here shortly. Um, but for the kind of the last pro of, you know, nuclear energy is that its impact on the community in a lot of senses um, is very beneficial to their economy. So it'll create 400 to 800 permanent jobs per power plant and also thousands of jobs while being developed. So it's creating a lot of sources of, you know, uh, income and jobs for different people for long periods of time. And that's when it is managed properly. But when it falls out a little bit, you can hurt a serious amount of people for a very long period of time. Absolutely. And just to add on a little tip to that one, too. You, so that was power plant and construction of power plant jobs. You got to think like a place of Australia that is quite uranium rich territory that they have a lot of jobs in economic creation from mining. And granted, that's not all over the world. But if you do have a country that does have uranium, that's just extra economic stimulus. But to go into those cons, the first one that you can kind of see from nuclear energy is that it generates 20 metric tons of hazardous nuclear waste per year that they have to deal with, that those people in those jobs are going to have to deal with in future iterations. And that hazardous waste, it comes in a few different ways from what it's giving off. In terms of a cooled fuel rod in the reactor, once that is cooled and, you know, brought out and put into a cooling chamber, it still will last for, you know, a hundred thousand years before it's safe. So those things are still piping with radiation that can harm you. And if it isn't disposed properly for generations upon generations, it can do some serious damage. And so that's why there's a lot of, you know, push and pull with if nuclear energy is right for us. And further, it also gives way to a very major target for terrorism. 
So, you know, if you take out a power plant, you can cause some serious explosions or harm. Or if someone gets their hands on power plant grade uranium, which can be synthesized into weapon grade uranium um, and create nuclear weapons, obviously that's a huge problem, um, especially if you get that into free hands or the wrong hands in the free world. I just wanted to first off say that that's all really good information that kind of leads to this more complex illustration of the pros and cons of nuclear energy. But I want to go on the record for saying that, Julian, you're a piping hot fuel rod yourself. So just compliment, compliment to you, sir. <laughs> you know, if I, if I ever start a boy band, I think that's a, one of the compliments I'd like to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the second or, you know, to add on to those cons, there's obviously quite a bit of um, nuclear power. It needs to have a lot of infrastructure in place and to be built to certain specifications to create kind of a safe environment for this energy creation. And so in itself, kind of there's a high overhead cost to a country or any entity, so to speak, getting into um, nuclear energy in itself, which is around $2 billion, depending on who you ask, on how like the startup costs of that. Which is a ton of money considering nuclear energy further is not a renewable energy source. Yes, there is a bountiful amount of uranium on Earth, but it is limited and it's not abundant uh, or it is abundant, but it is pretty limited to what we have here. And because once you use it, you have to cool it down for long periods of time before it's safe. And it doesn't have, you know, a refresh or it's not going to evaporate and come back. It's going to run out eventually. So, you know, that is one of the cons if you go all nuclear and everyone is starting to use that energy is like what happens when you run out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is something that you need to be aware of too when you're thinking of like what is nuclear energy how how is it created it becomes it's from a limited source and not not something that's infinite but from that i would like to segue to kind of some of the more notable um nuclear events that have happened and specifically nuclear energy not talking about nuclear bombs or anything like that so in the chernobyl incident uh, which happened in, uh, well, Chernobyl, and uh, what was known as the former, so former Soviet Russia, now specifically is Ukraine, which I, to be honest, call me in like kind of a geo geographically inept person, but I believe that Chernobyl was in Russia today, not the USSR or Ukraine. I, if somebody was to ask, I would have said Russia. Are you on that same train or am I just one of those dudes that are just lacking out here, Julian? Yeah, I'm on the same train. Um, and further, I didn't know that USSR was um, still up and running up until 1991. So, um, very interesting there. Quick side note. But, you know, Chernobyl is the spot most notably known, most so to speak, hot right now with the new Chernobyl series going out due to their nuclear meltdown. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I wanted to kind of give you guys kind of the check sheet. If you were going to have a conversation about Chernobyl, that you could like absolutely impress the shit out of somebody. So first off, the one thing that I would say is kind of like the eyebrow razor of the Chernobyl event is that 
If you've gone back and listened, I have not said the Chernobyl event was a nuclear meltdown. And the reason why is specifically it is not. And so I'll walk you through what a nuclear meltdown is and then show, tell you what Chernobyl, what happened in Chernobyl. So a nuclear meltdown happens when there is some sort of infrastructural breakdown of a nuclear energy. And so in a nuclear energy event, you have, and I'm going to try my best to illustrate this and kind of put on your imagination caps. You have water that interacts with these um, uranium elements and they're wrapped up in zinc sometimes or any other material. And basically what happens is there's a facilitation of energy. So in there, you have the water interacting with the uranium. And what happens is basically the Uranium hits the water and um, it creates this nuclear uh, fusion precipitate. So that happens to be like plutonium, um, other materials as well, like krypton and stuff like that. And so the reason that you have this happening is because specifically the first case is, is that uranium, like 3% reactor um, reactor uranium um, isn't the same that you'd find in like a nuclear bomb or a uranium bomb. It needs slow neutrons. And that's why the water as the medium is kind of that slow neutron to kind of like get it going. So let's say that there's an infrastructural break somewhere. And the first thing that's going to happen probably is the water is going to leak out. And so when the water leaks out, it leaks out of this kind of like steel tube or like housing container. And after that, the the neutrons get a lot faster in the uranium because instead of water being kind of this slower medium, it has basically and a lot of them are filled with nitrogen because um, you'll find out in a later case that hydrogen or air is not the best thing to mix with nuclear reactors when we talk about Fukushima. Um, so you have this and the uranium starts heating up really, really hot because the medium isn't slowing it down and it's just increasing, increasing, increasing. And when that happens, the the uranium melts and it melts through this, whatever it is, the container is steel or whatever. And when that happens, that's what you would consider is a nuclear meltdown. It is a failure of basically the housing unit. And when it gets super hot, a failure of a heat control unit. And so that melting of the uranium core is what technically is constituted as a nuclear meltdown which I know that's a lot of dense and like boring nerd stuff, but I find it quite interesting that there's actual steps to a nuclear meltdown and no failure specifically means, or any failure doesn't specifically mean that there is a nuclear meltdown. Yeah, I think that was a great representation. And to summarize what Jordan just said, um, you got to keep it in checks and balances. Um, if you let it get too hot, it's going to burn or melt through its container. Um, and you can have some serious side effects of that. And that's why you got to keep it this check and balances with coolants and waters to keep, you know, things rotating and evenly balanced with their heat so that the uranium and those atoms aren't flying around um, unobstructed. And that's why you use fuel rods. So these fuel rods come in and they essentially block or, you know, help slow down that these neutrons don't connect with certain atoms to create this energy through fission and slow it down quite a bit. And this is what happens in Chernobyl is they are trying a test to um, ensure the safety of their protocols and 
some serious user oversight occurs. Absolutely. That's basically uh, the five second relapse. And if you wanted to just say that, I'm sure somebody would take it for word. Um, specifically going into it, the first off, the Chernobyl nuclear reactors, which they had two from my memory, are quite poorly designed and the infrastructure is not there. So usually you would have this metal containing uh, unit that is kind of your nuclear reactor. And around that, you'd have about like eight feet worth of concrete to kind of contain everything in like a containing house. And uh, guess what? They didn't have a containing house. And what they decided to do is kind of go through protocol to figure out how their backup heat heating system would work. So they were just testing that. And it ended up that they kind of well, basically screwed the pooch and the heat, it got too hot. And one of the stupidest design flaws, and granted, I'm a dude that um, is about a, less than a week old in my knowledge in the nuclear energy game. But one of the stupidest things I heard that they did was have a positive heat coefficient or a temperature coefficient, which basically means as the reactions of these things get hotter, so as the nuclear reaction gets hotter or the inside gets hotter, the reaction happens faster, which is probably the worst design flaw I could think of when uh, dealing with like nuclear or radiated things. So once that happened, basically they had a lot, a lot of energy in there. The water evaporated. And so obviously they know something's wrong. But before anything could happen, Basically, the amount of energy that was stored in there was about as dense as TNT, and then it just uh, blew up. And the reason why, specifically, that that wouldn't be called a nuclear bomb or you couldn't get a nuclear bomb out of one of these nuclear reactors is that 3% grade uh, uranium. So once the precipitate like uh, burns off or the medium burns off, the water burns off because of how hot it is. Um, the reaction in itself kind of stops and it just heats up, heats up until it kind of like dies off. And that's the main difference between a nuclear bomb from a layman and a nuclear reactor. And so that's kind of what took down Chernobyl. And it just like obviously the TNT exploded and then spread, um, you know, like nuclear and radioactive precipitate and particles all the way up till Sweden. Yeah. And with you know nuclear meltdowns or nuclear explosions um, in the case of kind of what happened here at Chernobyl is that when you introduce you know this fuel to the air as Jordan is saying your radioactive particles fly everywhere people within a large 50 kilometer radius in this case um, are in a lot of trouble if not managed properly and to understand, uranium has a half-life of 700 million years. Um, so that means it can emit for a very, very, very long period of time at a very dangerous amount of you know, radioactive poisoning, so to speak, into the air and their particles. So it's very, very, very serious if something were to go wrong. And you, know, you can also see incidents um, with nuclear meltdowns such as Fukushima. What a hell of a uh, transition right there, Julian. That's exactly what I was going to go next. So basically, Fukushima was a little different. If you kind of are abreast of that event, 
the whole spawning point of it was there was a huge earthquake off the shore of Tokyo or Japan specifically and uh, happened to be next to a Fukushima, uh, their nuclear reactor. And so they had six of them there. Um, basically before it happened, which was in like huge earthquake within the hour tsunami hit. And before that tsunami hit, basically what they did was kind of powered down some of the, the nuclear reactors and then started running basically about, I think two of the reactors, five and six weren't working. So you only had to deal with four, uh, one through four and three, and two, I believe, had specifically a generator that helped the cooling process. So the generator would run and it was a diesel generator and it would help cool that stuff down. And then the other four had this passive passive system that didn't really run on a generator. Basically, the tsunami hit, blew out some of their electrical stuff. And so that kind of tips the scales of having this extreme incident of once again things are getting hotter things are getting hotter the the generator was still working on three and two but the other ones since the electricity was powered out weren't getting any cooling and pretty much that's when you specifically have this nuclear meltdown event where first the water kind of leaks out and erupts because it gets so hot then you have the the uranium itself melting and permeating through the actual or maybe through the container we're not sure and we won't be able to tell just from radiation and stuff like that to get in there um, luckily they did have a housing unit so the japan did it right but what happened was when they were venting when they were trying to vent so it was like instead of having it explode and have this like pressure bomb they said let's vent it to the outside world which is obviously not that great as far as uranium goes um, but the one thing that I told you about as far as like having oxygen and uh, hydrogen kind of around these events is that it doesn't end well. They pumped all the nitrogen in the actual reactor, but as they were venting it out, there was a structural flaw in the piping and it basically uh, got a hold that precipitate, got a hold of um, hydrogen and oxygen and just made a bomb and blew off the top of, I think, three of the four reactors themselves. And that's basically how Fukushima um, happened. Yeah. And it's uh, it's very interesting in the cases of how these nuclear reactors are built and their safety protocols in, in place, because as we noticed, they, they correctly went the route of making a, a housing around so that you know, this uranium doesn't uh, melt through and into groundwater supplies, harming many, many more people than that direct area. But not thinking, you know, in some cases, thinking through the correct ventilation systems or some of those um, occurrences is kind of what causes trouble in the scenario. And, you know, that's very often why people say um, very, being a nuclear physicist is not an easy job. Um, as you can see here, we've tried to give you a very simple explanation of what's going on. I'm sure there's some, you know, nuclear physicists listening to this podcast. We'd love to have you on here that are just ruling all over us about some of these smaller details that we're missing. Um, but it is a, there's so many different factors that go into happen um, if these events go off or, you know, you're losing generators or you're losing power or there's some human error in these cases that can be detrimental to your environment 
for years to come. Absolutely. It's kind of a high stake game for a high stake reward when it comes to this amazing energy source that your country can reliably rely on to kind of perpetually for years and years and years give them energy in kind of a quite or like decently efficient way relative to the other options and um, uh, quite a like a very environmentally safe way, ironically, as after we're done talking about this. But yeah, 100 percent. Just to echo what you said, these physicists don't have an easy job. It's quite hard. And even in the Fukushima event, like um, I was reading about how they left their physicists and engineers there and they had to like work it out on their own with like no electricity and trying to figure out how to do things. And obviously without knowing like if their family was okay in the tsunami, just a whole bunch of stuff. So, you know, my hat goes off to them for doing like an absolute valiant attempt, um, trying to like wrangle in that demon uh, as far as like a blown nuclear reactor. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's quite interesting. And if you guys got like, you know, the information out of this and really enjoyed it, please let us know. This one was a particularly fun one, at least for me, getting to nerd out on something interesting. And, you know, I hope that I pass that on to you guys and you learned something cool listening to this as well. Exactly. Um, for the record, I'm, I'm pro nuclear energy when handled properly, but you know, go ahead and let us know. Are you guys for nuclear energy? Are you against it? You know, tweet at us on Twitter, uh, send us a comment on Instagram, email us at the off the top cast at gmail.com. We really appreciate your anchor messages. Um, shout out to resource girl. Uh, that's her anchor name for, you know, letting us know about her taxes situation from some of our previous podcasts. You know, we did enjoy listening to that message. And yes, being an independent contractor can be very difficult. Um, but once again, we really appreciate your guys' support. We hope you learned something. And, you know, we look forward to uh, radiating your day a little bit more in the future. Catch you next time. Peace, homies.